If I have not had the privilege of meeting you personally, let me introduce myself briefly. My name is Jonathan Todd, and I'm the single adult minister here at Grace of Anne. Um, I am the wife of Layla Todd and the father of Kylie, Kirsten, and Catherine. Oh, excuse me, did I say wife? Thank you, Donna. You're going to keep me straight, aren't you? I am the husband of Layla and the father of uh, Kylie, Kirsten, and Catherine. I made the mistake of naming all three of my daughters with K's, and uh, I still can't get used to it. Uh, Tonight, to me, is a somber evening um, because of what is going on in our country. I suspect uh, most of you all, as I did Monday evening, listened to uh, our president address the world and give an ultimatum to a dictator named Saddam Hussein and his sons to leave Iraq. The consequences uh, for defiance of this ultimatum is war. And as we speak here and gather here tonight, the deadline of 48 hours that our president gave has come to a close. War most likely is imminent. And with that, I suspect there's some fear and concern that is added to the fear and concern that at times I suspect all of us have experienced due to economic downturns, due to terrorist threats, um, due to moral perversity in our nation. And what do we do with that? How do we handle that? One of the things that I do is I think of days gone by, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. And what comes to mind is um, better economic conditions, a market that seemed to have no ceiling, um, and and, an appearance of peace in our land. And so now I have thoughts run through my head. Is there going to be war? What will be the outcome of this war? Will there be casualties? Will the Middle East really potentially be more secure or will it erupt all of it in conflict? I heard somebody reference today that uh, they heard a report that Osama bin Laden has spoken some threats or something. Rumors are probably flying all around like that. Are there going to be more terrorist attacks? Are are we going to wake up tomorrow morning and and find out some other tragedy has occurred? Those, Those, I think, are legitimate concerns that I know run through my mind and I suspect run through yours. And yet when I think of days gone by and I think of times where again the economic conditions were different, the threat of war wasn't looming over us. I perceive those times to be times of greater certainty than I perceive today. Today I perceive there to be great uncertainty. And I can't speak for you all, but I can speak for myself. And I have a tendency, and I suspect you all can relate to me, I have a tendency to find comfort and find security in the circumstances around me. Are my children healthy? 
my life's good? How's that retirement plan of mine? Growing? Good. I have wonderful hope for the future. Did I gain the results that I expected? Well, good. Now I can feel secure because I got what I was expecting to happen. And from that, I find comfort and peace. The circumstances around me. Yet the reality is, when I place my trust, when I place my hope, when I place my comfort, when I place my security in the circumstances around me, I will have little rest and peace because the circumstances are forever uncertain. Yet I continue to tend to place my trust, my hope, my comfort, my security in the circumstances. I believe that's part of my fallen nature. This tendency of mine to look at the things around me and gain my hope, gain my security, gain my trust from those things. And yet they're constantly changing. Now I believe that the reality is is that days gone by are the same as days today as far as certainty or uncertainty. I believe the only thing that's really different is the deception within my own mind. I perceived days two, four, two to four years ago as being more certain. And I perceive today to be more uncertain simply because of the circumstances. We have a threat of war on us. Four years ago, the market had no ceiling. It seemed like you couldn't, you couldn't lose money in the markets. And yet I believe what's, what's changed today is I'm not as deceived in my mind. I am more in touch with reality. And that reality is, is that I can't predict the future, never have been able to, never will be able to. And all I have is the moment that God's given me. And it's uncertain. I don't know what I will find when I go home tonight. I don't know what tomorrow will hold. But I do know I've been given life today. And yet, when circumstances are good, I tend to think, hey, life's pretty certain and everything's okay. I deceive myself. our tendency is to trust in our circumstances rather than in God. Now tonight it's interesting to me because we've gathered here for a worship service, a time where we come before our Creator and offer up our praise and our thanksgiving to the bounty that He has given us, to the, to the grace that He has lavished upon us, and to the life that He has bestowed upon us. Yet at the same moment, the circumstances in our world are drastically uncertain. The 48-hour deadline is up. We're all wondering, have the bombs started? What's going to occur? those two almost seem to be juxtaposed to each other. Here we are, gathered for a worship service, to offer our praise and our thanksgiving to our Creator, and yet the world is in such turmoil. Well, I believe we can find a similar situation in the book of Acts. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 16. Here we find in this chapter, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. 
they're in the city of Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, it was their custom to go outside the city and to find a group of people gathered for a time of prayer. And they would begin to engage in prayer with these people and share the gospel with them. Well, on this day, they again had gone outside the city of Philippi, gathered with others for a day of prayer. And a demon-possessed slave girl had come near them and was really, the, the demon inside the slave girl was, was mocking, mocking them and, and really being quite an annoyance. So after a while, Paul casts the demon out of this girl. Well, the owners of the slave girl, realizing now that their pot of gold had been ruined and their ability to make money off this slave girl had been reduced, have Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into prison. And so here are Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into a prison, and we find their response to this situation in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, how in the world are Paul and Silas able to pray and sing praises to their Creator in the midst of, I highly suspect, some unwanted circumstances. They've been beaten and thrown into a prison. They're down in some hole, chained to a wall, probably bleeding and bruised, and there they are at midnight. You've got to figure they've been up all day, so not only are they probably physically tired, they've been physically beat, but they're up at midnight praying and singing praises to their God. Kind of sounds somewhat familiar to what I suspect we can relate to tonight. Here we are gathered for a worship service to offer our praise and our thanksgiving to our Creator for the grace that He's lavished upon us, and yet our circumstances are certainly unwanted. Well, how in the world do Paul and Silas pray and offer praises to their Creator? The Scriptures and Acts don't specify. They don't say, Paul and Silas were able to do this because of A, B, and C. However, I want to suggest a few things that I think would be true for Paul and Silas and I believe are true for us tonight. Paul and Silas, I suspect, had experienced a wave of emotions. It, to me, it's just a natural human response. They've been beaten. Surely they have experienced fear and terror that the beatings would occur again, that more pain would be afflicted upon them. And I can't help but imagine that they've also experienced an emotion of, of maybe disappointment or disillusionment. They certainly didn't set out on this, on this missionary journey expecting to be beaten and thrown into prison. So I suspect they've experienced some negative emotions. To me, that's a pretty valid response, and any of us could relate to it. Yet they don't, they don't stay there, because the Scriptures tell us that they pray and sing praises in the midst of the prison. Well, I suspect that Paul and Silas reminded themselves of the truth. And I want to offer to you all three truths that I suspect they might have reminded themselves of. I'm confident they were aware of them. And there were probably more truths than just these. But three truths about our God. 
that I believe are relevant for us tonight as we gather here to offer our praise and our prayers and to worship our Creator. The first truth that I want to draw to your attention is that God never changes. Our God never changes. The God who at the beginning of time created all of this world is the same God that is present here tonight with us. Our God never changes. In the book of Psalm, chapter 102, verses 25 to 27, we read, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. Our God never changes. We also read in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And again in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The God that created this world, that breathed life into each one of us, and that gives us every breath we take, does not change. God's nature does not change. God's purposes do not change, and God's promises do not change. Now that's important, because if He did change, we couldn't trust Him. But He doesn't. I suspect Paul and Silas reminded themselves, wait a minute, my God does not change. We can remind ourselves tonight that our God does not change. Even though the circumstances around us appear to be much more uncertain today than they were four years ago. Our God does not change. A second truth that I believe Paul and Silas would have reminded themselves of and that we can remind ourselves of tonight. Our God is sovereign. Now that idea of sovereignty touches on the rule that God has over His creation. He rules it all. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, we read, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. No one can withstand my God. Again, in the book of Daniel, Chapter 4. This is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had grown quite arrogant. And in this section of uh, Daniel, uh, he looks out over all his country and basically pats himself on the back for what a powerful person he is and basically steals glory and honor that's due God. Well, God disciplines him and he causes him to become insane and be cast out uh, from his people. 
And when God restores King Nebuchadnezzar's sanity, King King Nebuchadnezzar says this. We read in chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 34 and following. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Our God is sovereign. Our God is not caught off guard by circumstances. He's not surprised by anything. There are not rogue nations when it comes to being under the rule of God Almighty. That phrase, rogue nations, does not exist in our God's vocabulary. They don't exist. They're not true. There is not a single nation that is not there because because it decided to do it on its own. Saddam Hussein is the dictator of Iraq because God allowed it. Saddam Hussein will stop being the dictator of Iraq when our God allows it. Our God is sovereign. Our God never changes, and our God is sovereign. Now, thirdly, a truth that I believe Paul and Silas would have reminded themselves of, and I believe is imperative for us to remind ourselves of, is that God is love. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, twice this phrase is found. I want to reference just one of them. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, we read, God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then probably a familiar passage to you all, which I think speaks to the same truth that God is love, is Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God is love. All that God does for us is, is done out of love. The circumstances may seem uncertain, but that doesn't change the fact that our God loves us. And the example given in 1 John of an illustration of His love is the atoning sacrifice provided in Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about that for a moment, could God give a greater sacrifice than His own Son? Could He love us any more than is exampled in the love of Christ? No. Has God stopped loving us because the circumstances appear more uncertain? No, He has not. God loves us whether He's acting as judge, whether He's acting as redeemer, whether He's acting as father, whether He's acting as king. All of God's activity is loving activity. I suspect Paul and Silas reminded themselves that their God never changes, that their God is sovereign, 
and that their God loves them. And because of that, we find them in Acts chapter 16, 25, in the midst of unwanted circumstances, praying and singing praises to their God. Now, recently I had the opportunity to uh, watch the movie Gods and Generals. Um, anybody else had a chance to see that? I know Jeff has. Okay, come on. I'd recommend you go see it. Um, you may not like the Civil War. You may not like four-hour movies. Um, but it's, a, it's an excellent movie. But there's a scene in there um, that really changed my life, challenged my life, should I say. General Jackson, one of the southern generals, has taken his Virginia brigade and they've moved him into the first battle of the Civil War. And the scene in the movie is you see General Jackson up on a horse. And there's cannon shots going off, there's bullets whizzing by, and he sits on this horse, unmoved, giving commands to his aides and encouraging his troops. And eventually, he's shot in the hand. Well, he wraps his hand in a bandage, elevates his hand, as would be the proper medical procedures, stays up on the horse, continues to give commands to his aides, and offer encouragement to his troops with his hand elevated. All the, all the while, cannon blasts are going off and bullets are whizzing by, and he sits there, what appears to be quite calmly. Well, after the battle's over, General Jackson is surveying the field, and two of his aides come up to him and they say, General Jackson, how is it that in the midst of battle like this, you're able to be like a stone wall. General Jackson, now respectfully given the nickname Stonewall Jackson, responds by saying, it's because of my theology. God has ordained but one day for me to die. Nothing I can do can change that. That's a reference to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Stonewall Jackson, in the midst of unwanted circumstances, in the midst of cannon shots going off and bullets whizzing by, in the midst of what, for any of us, would be a terrifying situation, is able to experience peace and security because of his theology. Because he understands that his God does not change. He understands that his God is sovereign and that his God loves him. And he knows that my God has ordained the day for me to die. Whether it's on this battlefield or not, I'm not going to change it. Our God has ordained all of our lives. Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into prison, yet they're able to find rest and peace in their theology. Tonight, we are on the brink of war, and yet I propose to you that we can find rest and peace in our theology. Our God has not changed. Our God is sovereign, and our God loves us. Now, does that mean that everything in life will be wanted circumstances? No. You just read in the Scriptures and see what happened to the, to the men and women of God in the Bible. And of course, those are not all the circumstances they wanted. But we can find rest and we can find peace in the midst of unwanted circumstances 
because of who our God is. And it's only in Him and through Christ that we can find that. Now tonight we've sung praises. And we've stopped and we've reminded ourselves of who God is. Jeff Simons is going to come and he's going to lead us in prayer. And we're going to have an opportunity to not only pray for each other, for our country, for the world, but we're going to have an opportunity to offer our thanksgiving to the God who never changes, to the God who is sovereign and to the God who loves us. But before Jeff does that, I want to challenge you with two points of application to what we've heard tonight besides our own personal rest and peace. Our culture is awash in fear and terror and uncertainty and they're grasping and desperate for a sense of that certainty that we oftentimes delude ourselves with. Are we prepared when the Holy Spirit presents the opportunity to speak to the truth that we know? Are we prepared to speak to the rest and peace that we only find in God through Christ Jesus? I believe we have an opportunity to minister to our culture and speak of the rest and peace that we find through Christ. Secondly, if you have children, if you have nieces or nephews, if you have grandchildren, are you taking this opportunity to train those little ones, if they're of the appropriate age, are you taking this opportunity to train them that we don't find our rest and peace in circumstances, but rather we find our rest and peace in our Maker? It's the only place we can find it. This is an opportunity for us to train our children how to live life. Are you taking it? If you're not, I challenge you too. Are you prepared? Are you looking for? Are you praying for the opportunities to minister to the lost in this world? They're desperate. They're desperate right now for some sense, for some easement of the fear and the terror they feel. And are you taking this opportunity to train the little ones that in whatever capacity have been put in your care? I challenge you with those things. Jeff, will you come guide us now in prayer tonight?